Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangusti, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at the latest signals coming from the annual Central Economic Work Conference in Beijing. We'll also look at some fresh steps France and Turkey are taking against Chinese EV. We'll start with the Central Economic Work Conference that wrapped up last week in Beijing and was attended by President Xi Jinping and other top Communist Party leaders. While the name may sound a bit dry, this is the big annual meeting where top leaders talk about their priorities for next year. In that regard, people are finding meaning in the government's stated goal next year of quote pursuing progress while ensuring stability. Specifically, they're saying that stability has always been a top priority. But this is the first time that progress has come ahead of stability. So, Renee, many people are interpreting the progress ahead of stability as meaning the government will put greater focus on supporting the economy.、Uh, do you agree with this interpretation? And what kind of steps do you think we'll be seeing next year? Well, many people are interpreting, and people see meaning. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, people hear and they see what they want to hear and what they want to see.、Uh, nothing new there. Nothing particular about China. Just look at what's been going on in the U.S. with the stock market,、uh, and this basically cat and mouse play between investors and the Federal Reserve.、Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, people want to make money. People know they can make money in the stock market if the stock market goes in the right direction. And has the support from,、um, you know, authorities, governments, whoever,、uh, and therefore they see things and they hear things and they believe things. So,、uh, so much for that. Now, the second point I would make is define progress for me.、Um, I don't know what it means. Well, this is, I think, <laughs> yeah, this is what people are thinking because they're talking about progress and stability. So these are. Two different ideas. So people are interpreting progress to mean the economy, I guess. Right. I mean, but is it so?、Uh, and I mean, even if it is so,、um, nothing really,、uh, you know, to rattle the cages、uh, right there. I mean, if if you look at it on a kind of、um, political basis.、Um, The、um, the objective、uh, of the CCP has always been、uh, to be in power uh, forever. Uh, you derive from there the need for stability, and one could definitely、uh, not even argue, but understand and agree that、um, you know the better the economy is, the better stability. It、uh, generates. So you know what does it all mean? Progress and and stability. I think that you know if you look at it that way, they kind of go hand in hand anyhow.、Hmm. So you know that's、um, that's my take on it. That. <laughs> right.、Um, yeah. I guess I, again, people I think were pointing out that progress wasn't a word that was used so much. You know, it's they have their go-to words, but. I guess I guess we'll have to see and see if、uh, you know anything really new happens.
Yeah, but it's also, I mean, look, it, it's also one of these words that, you know, can mean so many different things. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. Uh, it could be progress of the economy, in the economy. It could be progress in, you know, uh, people's mentality. It could be, it could just be absolutely anything. And I think that, you know, this is powerful, the course with those, uh, you know, statements and declarations and all of that is that the words are always, you know, pretty uh, vague. And I think it, I think it, it's always on purpose. Deliberate. You know, everybody, everybody tries to find something in there that suits them. Uh, and meanwhile, I think the hope is that people will calm down. <laughs> okay. A source told Reuters the government also discussed its economic growth forecast for next year and that the final figure will be a target of about 5%, the same as this year. Given all the economic gloom these days, do you think that's an achievable goal? Well, uh, there are really two answers to this, I think. Yes and no. Um, one is, of course... Because this is the government uh, telling us that it will be 5%. So they kind of stuck with it. They're not going to want to lose face. So assuming that, uh, you know, everything keeps, you know, chugging along, obviously they will meet the 5%. Hmm. <laughs> the second point about that is that 5% is similar to 5% last year. Right. So, you know, the, there's no way, I think, that the government is going to come out in a subsequent year and say, look, we basically not doing such a great job, so next year it's going to be 4% down from 5 Not going to happen, <laughs> right? So uh, the uh, the second answer is, if there is any kind of major disruption, another, you know, nasty virus or some real consequential geopolitical issues or whatever, then then obviously very likely they won't meet the 5%, but at least, you know, they would be able to blame the rest of the world or some specific nations or whatever it is. Right. Uncontrollable act of God. Well, I don't think they would use act of God, but uh, force majeure or whatever to explain why it wasn't meant. So, you know, I really have zero faith personally in those projections mm. um, because historically uh, they pretty much have always been met unless something like COVID happens. Right. 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 And then uh, then it's easy to say, well, all bets are wrong because this thing is that, what, whatever. And of course, we uh, are not able to meet uh, the target, but don't blame us. Right. Right. I, right. I sort of agree with you on that. It just seems like a these target settings are basically sending the message to the provinces saying, hey, make sure your data comes in at this level and then the provinces uh, find ways to fudge and, and whatever. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, 5% in the West would be considered a really good growth rate. But for China, I guess it's just sort of so-so or maybe even subpar. Yeah, well, that's part of the issue, right? Because um, when when you hang your legitimacy on uh, continuous uh, 
economic growth, uh, more jobs, more this, more that, more people moved out of poverty and so on and so on. And then you look back, uh, you know, to the days where GDP was growing at double digit numbers. You know, if if you if you're all the way up there, you have to at least, you know, try <laughs> and and deliver a number that is, you know, not too too bad, right? Once again, unless unless events uh, force you or deliver a blow to you. Um, you know, you have to prove that you will continue to grow and, and then you have to deliver and so you're able to say we did it. All right, well, let's move on. Next, we'll look at the latest European actions against a growing tide of Chinese EV imports. Last week, we saw France unveil an updated list of EV models eligible for government subsidies and surprise, surprise, no Chinese models were included on the list. We also saw Turkey unveil tough new rules requiring all EV sellers to have at least 140 authorized service centers spread across the country before they can start selling in the market. Both moves look specifically aimed at keeping their roads from becoming flooded with Chinese EVs. So many people will recall the EU has also launched an anti-dumping probe into Chinese EVs. Why are we seeing so many countries take this kind of action now? Well, I mean, this is obviously about uh, protecting uh, the uh, national car manufacturers. If, Does Turkey really have that many? <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, let's just look at France. I think that these are two very different issues. Hmm. Um, let, let's, uh, let's look at France. France has a, uh, <laughs> against all odds, still makes cars and sells them. I don't know who wants to buy a French car. <laughs> I don't know anybody who wants to buy a French car, but some people do, especially in Europe. Um, so, you know, similar measures have been taken in the US. Um, you've talked about uh, the European economy, anti uh, community, anti-dumping, uh, investigation. France obviously has a car industry that they want to protect. Germany, the same. Europe in general, it, it, that includes Italy as well when it comes to car manufacturers and, and some car manufacturing activity in Spain. So mm. that, that's what is, that's what is driving this, uh, job protection, um, economic benefit. Uh, protection and so on and and uh, you know countries remember what happened uh, with the uh, uh, green energy sector um, solar and wind particularly solar the US still has a solar manufacturer called First Solar which is doing okay but manufacturing a lot actually outside the US uh, Germany had some there were others in Europe and and all of those pretty much uh, died uh, because of the fact that uh, China subsidized through different ways uh, its uh, solar uh, manufacturing industry. And the result is that today, I think 80% of uh, all solar panels are made in China. And it looks like, you know, storage uh, batteries for solar generated and wind generated energy is also going that way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that destroyed, you know, companies in Europe 
less so in the US, but jobs in particular in Europe as well. And and um, and the US and and Europe have uh, you know long considered that this is all the result of unfair competition at the national level, and they are very keen to avoid a repeat of that. If you, you know, if you believe that indeed at some point in time, I don't know if it's 20 years or 50 years, but pretty much 90% or 80% of the cars in the world will be electric cars, then then there's a lot of stake uh, for those countries in particular um, that have, you know, car manufacturing um, sectors. So that's, um, you know, that's what drive, uh, what's driving that. Turkey, the Turkey, I think, is a different issue as far as I'm not aware that Turkey <laughs> is, a, um, is a car manufacturing uh, champion or powerhouse. Um, but, but I have to say there's, uh, there's a lot of merit to what they're doing. And by the way, look, I mean, I don't know if it's targeted at, at Chinese uh, companies in particular, I guess, you know, European ones. Uh, Tesla, which is American, would have uh, presumably to set up the same infrastructure uh, before being allowed to sell their cars in in Turkey. But I think that uh, you know, I think it makes a, a fair amount of sense. I'm not obviously fully knowledgeable about what authorized service centers mean, but uh, you know, one of the big issues that has been considerably, if you believe the believers, uh, slowing down the rollout of the electric cars in the U.S. Uh, has been one um, the absence of a nationwide, you know, widely spread um, charging uh, network. Number one, number two, the uh, multiple constantly reported problems affecting um, the existing charging stations in terms of, uh, you know, how many are actually fully uh, working whenever you need to charge your car. And there have been lots of horror stories about people almost getting stranded because they'll get to a charging station and some of the chargers don't work. So, um, you know, I think it makes sense to have um, at a national level to impose a certain level of, uh, you know, technology network, uh, not only existing, but also functioning at all times, uh, you know, before you let your people buy electric cars, especially if you're going to subsidize that because you think it's good public policy, uh, you want to ensure that, you know, they'll be okay, uh, you know, using their EVs. Uh, number one, because you don't want a problem uh, with, you know, with people, but number two also because it, it, it runs the risk of jeopardizing the whole effort of having more and more EV cars on the road. Right. Okay, right. So, so you're saying Turkey isn't necessarily directed against China. How how about uh? I, I don't think so. How about uh, just uh, any predictions? You know, given the the way you know the West seems to 
have learned its lesson from, like you say, from solar and and you know batteries. Uh, do you have any 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 guess on how sort of the global EV market might look, say, ten years from now, uh, in terms of you know how big of the market or how much of the market will China have? Well, that's no. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I think it's fairly unpredictable. But I mean, first of all, look, the world is not the world is not uniform, right? Uh, the if you look at emerging markets in particular, um, you know, I don't think that there are many people, let's say, in Southeast Asia, um, Latin America, who can afford a Tesla or who can afford a, a an electric BMW car <laughs> or a Mercedes-Benz electric car. Um, so uh, I think that there are huge opportunities for Chinese EV manufacturers in whatever you want to call it, global south, emerging markets, whatever, uh, you know, politicians use in these days right. uh, to refer to those parts of the world. But uh, I think there's, there's huge market opportunities there. Uh, lots of people who gradually will be able to or willing to um, switch from um, ICE cars to EV cars will obviously want to have cheap cars available. And I think that's where, no matter what, no matter what happens with Europe, with the U.S., that's where Chinese EV manufacturers um, have a lot of opportunities. Also, I think in terms of, you know, political linkage and so on, I think that, you know, at government levels in some countries, uh, I'm sure the Chinese government will, you know, use its muscles as well when necessary. Um, so, you know, Chinese EV cars will do very well in Develop. um, in those parts of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, they will also, if allowed, I think, uh, they will capture some market share uh, in Europe and, and in the US and North Canada as well, in fact, simply on price uh, competition. You know, um, the uh, I remember vividly in Europe in the 70s and 80s, you know, people... Some people were buying Russian cars um, because they were just they're cheap. Right. Um, there was even a, a small car manufacturing in Yugoslavia, which was uh, part of the Soviet Union at the time, that ended up selling some of its cheap cars in the U.S. Uh, they were at the time, I think, costing $2,000 or $3,000 oh. U.S. dollars. And some people bought them because they were cheap, they were affordable, and they didn't, you know, break down all the time. They broke down <laughs> just a lot. Time to time. Right. But it was, you know, money, money. I mean, look, lots of people like to buy as reliable as they can be, you know, cheaper things, whether it's cars or televisions or anything. Right, right, right. And I guess, well, we'll see what kind of protective measures, you know, the U.S. and Europe take. All right. Well, let's let's uh, wrap up there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. In our next program, we'll look at a new clampdown on private equity. And we'll also look at the latest retreat by a Chinese tech startup from the U.S. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. Meantime, hope to see you all next week. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. Thank you all.